0: Morning. Well, happy Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Amen. That he's risen this morning. Whenever well, this morning, 2000 years ago. But the title of today's message in Matthew 28 is He is with us. He is with us. And we considered and remembered the Lord's death last week. Remember, we watched the Passion. People came over Friday and we remembered and celebrated Jesus' death with communion. With worship prayer and scripture that we remember that last week was a rough week thinking about the cross and remembering his death and his suffering for us and after that we had fun yesterday we went out we did things we enjoyed the nice weather it's nice out today can't wait to get out today but yesterday for the disciples was not a fun day for them Jesus was still dead Jesus was still in the tomb. It was still sealed. There were still Roman guards outside. And they were mourning. The one that they loved, they had followed, they had cheered a week earlier to come in as their king, was now dead and gone in their minds. Everything they had thought was going to happen didn't happen. Partially because they didn't realize what he meant when he said that he'd rebuild the temple in three days. If you tear this down, I'll rebuild it in three days because this day had not dawned for them and it had not dawned on them that he was coming back that his kingdom was not of this world that he wasn't here to defeat Caesar physically with an army he was here to defeat the Caesar of this world by defeating sin and death on the cross and as the day had began to dawn it was already different but they just didn't know it yet And isn't that us sometimes as well? That things have changed, the seasons have moved, the sun is up, but we haven't climbed out of bed yet. We haven't opened the blinds uh, in our bedroom and the blinds in our heart to see that God is moving, that God is doing something, but we just weren't looking for it yet. And Lord, this morning we ask that we would see all that you're doing because God, you are alive. You're not dead. You're with us. You've gone before us. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You're living and moving through the church and through your spirit in these last days. And as dark as it is outside, we know that, God, you're coming soon. And in that time, God, you want us to be faithful, God. So let us march forward from this Easter knowing that our Lord is alive. God, fill us, we pray, and speak to us in your word as only you can because you love us. And, God, we love you in return so much. You're so good. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 28 says, At the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And then there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his garments white as snow. The soldiers shook in fear of him and became like dead men. So these ladies we see, the Marys, couldn't stay away from the tomb. They went home at night because they couldn't stay there at night, but they went home at night, but they had every intent of going back in the morning. And I believe they probably would have had every intent of going the next day and the next day and the next day. They still couldn't believe that their Lord Jesus was gone. The man that they loved in a holy love as their savior, as their king, as their friend, had died. And they were still clinging to him. You know, when we lose somebody, it breaks our hearts. When someone dies, we cling. We, we need that closure of a, a funeral, of, a, of time together with family and They didn't really get that. They got to put him in the grave, right? But now there's soldiers guarding the grave. The government's in the way. The people are in the way. The religious people are in the way of them just mourning. There's not a big procession there. They're afraid of being arrested and murdered just like him as well. But they still went. They still went, even though the soldiers were there. They didn't care. They just wanted to be close to him, even though he was gone. But another earthquake happens. The earthquake happened after uh, the cross when Jesus died. And now there's another one. And this isn't an aftershock. There, yes, there are physical things that happen in the world, but there's also spiritual things that cause physical things to happen. And this is a spiritual thing. An angel comes down from heaven, sent by God, and he rolls the stone away. The soldiers could not stop him. God's soldier, the angel comes, rolls the stone away. And my favorite part is he sits on top of it. Like, I, I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into it and projecting myself on some of these things that I share today. But I think God's got this sense of humor that he's like, hey, buddy, why don't you go down there and you roll that stone away. When you're done, sit on top of it. Show them that they have no power over you that they're kind of sitting that you're sitting up on top of this rock that they they made to seal my son in that cave and you just sit up on top of that and proclaim that he is alive. And those soldiers are going to tremble. Those soldiers are going to be like dead. To terrify them. Remember these are big burly strong men who are soldiers for life. They're scarred and they've fought and they've killed. I wonder if even some of these guys were there the other day a part of the riots uh, with Pilate and trying to bring Jesus to the cross. But now they fell down as if dead. They got knocked out. Wow. They're done, afraid. They were expecting a couple fishermen to show up and a powerful being from another dimension comes down and rolls this heavy stone away. I don't even know if these two soldiers could have rolled away, but this angel did it no problem and then sat on top like a boss. Verse five. The angel said to the women, that is when they showed up, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Listen, I have told you. So they departed quickly. Uh, from the tomb with fear and great joy. From the, uh, I'm sorry, I can't keep track of the lines here. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. As they went to tell his disciples, suddenly Jesus met them, saying, "Greetings!" And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, "Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me." So this women, uh, the Marys, they walk up, and they see this scene. Maybe the soldiers are still laying dead on the ground, or knocked out on the ground, they weren't really dead. I don't know if they're still there yet. But they see this, and they see this stone roll away, and they see this angel with this countenance, this glowing countenance, sitting on the rock. I'd be a little afraid. You know, it's early in the morning, you're coming through the woods, and you come up to this tomb, this graveyard, And all of a sudden there's this being sitting there on the rock and it's rolled away. What happened here? I think great too that the governments of the world were laid flat again by the power of God. With just one little angel. But the angel says to them, as we see every angel pretty much say to everybody that they meet, do not be afraid. That this was a scary sight. That these women are emotional and upset and distraught to begin with. The last thing that God wants them now to be is afraid of his messenger. And he says to them, Jesus isn't here. He's risen. He's alive. He's not dead anymore. That would be shocking to hear. I mean, I know they saw Lazarus be risen from the dead, but now Jesus is too. They knew that Jesus had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, but if he's dead himself, can he be risen? And what a relief. What wonder. Well, if he's risen, how and where did he go? And the angel says, look, look, there's proof. It's not just take my word for it. He says, look in the tomb. Peek in there if you want to. He's not there. He's not there. And I love that God offers that proof right away of the resurrection. It's not this, as the world would say, take a leap of faith. No, that our faith in Jesus is based on the evidence that he's not there. He's not dead. He's not in the tomb. Uh, His body wasn't missing. His grave clothes were folded up. And the women, typical women who love the Lord, they were obedient right away. Us guys are a little more like, got to go in there and check it out and get a humidity reading, (laughs) get a camera. But they obeyed right away. I don't even know if they inspected the tomb. He said, look in. But I don't know that, at least from this area of Scripture, that they spent a lot of time there. They came there, they heard that he was alive. They probably went, oh, Mary, (laughs) they went running away to go tell the disciples. They didn't hang around the grave when they heard that he was alive. Like, why would you hang out at the grave anymore if he's not there? A lot of times people will go visit the graves of their loved ones and I get it. You know, your heart is there, but if I'm gone, you don't need to visit a grave of me. I'm not here. There's nothing to visit. It's just dirt. But if I was alive, if I came back to life, why would you hang out there? If, if, my, if my friend or my father-in-law, other people I loved to died, came back to life, I wouldn't go hang out at the grave. I'd go find them where they were. Just like as a kid, you wouldn't uh, know where your friends were and you'd go over to their house and see if they were there and they would say, oh no, they're over at John's house. And so you'd run and go to the other kid's house and find them because that's where the people you wanted to be with were. Why would I hang out at a house where no one's home? I'm going to go where they are. And that's the same thing that the, the ladies said. They had no, no reason to be at that tomb in that graveyard other than to be by their Lord. And when they found out that he wasn't there, they left straight away. And I believe a lot of Christians and Christian groups sometimes who claim to be Christian, may be or may not be, they hang around the grave. They are stuck on the death of Jesus. And not that we should ignore the death of Jesus, but there's more beyond his death. A lot of Christian so-called religions and so-called churches have pictures of Jesus up on a cross. They wear a cross with Jesus still nailed to it. It's called a crucifix. They focus on the do-nots, on the laws, on the legalism, on fulfilling the law, on doing things to make yourself right with God but they've forgotten what the cross is all about, that God did everything possible to make us right with him because we can't do anything to make ourselves right with him. And sometimes we forget that the purpose of the cross, to some degree, was the resurrection. Not that we forget the cross, not that we gloss over it or treat it like it's not worthy, but that we realize that the point of the cross was getting to the resurrection. The resurrection couldn't happen unless the death happened first. That this cross is a foundational stone, so to speak, in the life and the building of the resurrection. That Jesus said, I am the cornerstone. I'm the chief cornerstone, right? That all who fall on me will be broken, but anyone that I fall on will be crushed, pulverized. And the issue is that things were finished. That Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That sin and death is finished at the cross. And the evidence is his resurrection, and for us, when things are finished, we get the resurrected life because we've seen the resurrected Lord Jesus. That we can't live that resurrected life if we're sticking around in death all the time. And there's a problem with certain recovery groups that make you focus on how many days and, and, and how long you've been sober and all these other things. When they're just focusing on the death, And they're not focusing on the resurrection. That you give all those things to Jesus at the cross, you let them die, you let them go away, and then you walk forward in new life of resurrection. Because we can't live our Christian life as God intended it for us. Yes, we can get by in life, but not have that abundant life until we've seen the Lord resurrected. My conversion, I grew up around the church. I went my own way. I sinned. I still would have said I was a believer, but I didn't really believe. I didn't really know the Lord. I knew the scripture. I knew that it was true, but I hadn't encountered the resurrected Lord until that fateful night in 2003 in my bedroom at my mom's house in upstate New York. I encountered the resurrected Lord. Did I see him? No, but spiritually, I saw him there. I heard him there. I felt him there. He forgave me. I had that encounter with him. Paul the disciples, all those who came to faith in the past, who were changed by him, had an encounter with him either directly or encountered him in faith through the news of him being resurrected. It was the cross that brought them to their knees, but it was his, the resurrected Lord that lifted them back up to walk a life in faith from that point. So their first task was to go and tell Everyone else. It wasn't to set up a party. It wasn't to clean the tomb out. It wasn't to get his grave clothes because those things didn't matter anymore. It was to go tell people. The most important thing was that people now found out that Jesus was alive. And that's the most important thing that we tell people today that He is alive. He's not a dead God. He's a God that I pray to. He's a God that answers my prayer. And He's a God that's healed people and healed me and healed others. And He can heal you too. And He hears your prayer. He is not dead, He is alive. I think we miss that, even in the church. We miss that Jesus is alive, and we pray as if he can't hear us. We pray as if he won't hear us. We pray as if maybe he hears us, but he doesn't answer. Well, that's not a living God. A living God is intimate and understanding and close to us and with us, as we'll see. So their first task was to go tell everyone else. And they were assured by this angel that Jesus would find them. They didn't need to go looking for him. Now, I'd want to go looking for him. Why am I going to go out and talk to anybody else? I'm going to go find Jesus. He's the only one I care about. But no, the angel assured them, look, go tell everyone else. Have faith. He will find you. He's alive. You don't need to look for him in some grave or some supermarket. He's going to come find you. And so they ran with fear and great joy. And I almost called the message Fear and Great Joy, but uh, it was trumped at the end of my another verse. So they, they look... Uh, they saw, they'd seen what happened. They'd spoken with an angel Jesus, uh, whom they had just saw brutally beaten and crucified, and his flesh torn from them is now out there. They're afraid. This is a crazy scenario. What's happening? What's going on? The soldiers are down. there's an angel here, the tomb's open. Jesus is not in there, but they also have great joy. He's alive. God's telling us he's alive. He's not dead anymore. This is over. We don't have to be sad anymore. The type of joy that comes after grief is is the greatest kind of joy ever. Like when I thought, you know, this is an awful comparison, but take it for what it is. When I lost my dog growing up, how much grief I had. And then when I found her, the joy I had finding her after she was lost was even greater than the joy I had when I first got her. Because what was gone and dead to me was now alive again. You know, they had seen Lazarus come to life, so they had some evidence of this in their life. They had been through something similar. But now Jesus, the joy of their Savior, their friend and companion, was brought to life. And Jesus met them on the way. And sometimes we wait for Jesus too long. We look for him when we're not supposed to be looking for him when we've already been told where he is. Uh, We don't find him. Because we just need to be obedient sometimes to the word and to the vision that he has given us. And he's going to meet us on the way. God says, go and do this. And we look around and wait for the Lord to show us something else. Or wait for the Lord to appear. And God's like, I've already told you something to do. I'm going to meet you on the way. As you step out and do these things, God will meet you along the way. God gives you a vision. God gives you a call. God gives you a word. Step out and do it. And he's going to meet you along the way because he's alive. He's not just a dead commandment to follow from the past. He's a living God in the present who's called you to walk with Him. Same thing before, you know, I think our cell phone day and age where we got to get a text every moment, we got to call and make sure that they're still there five minutes before we show up. When in the old days, you said, I'll meet you at the mall on Tuesday at three and you just knew to meet them there. And if they were five minutes late, you didn't panic, you just waited five minutes. And if they were five minutes late, you didn't panic, you just waited five more minutes. I think the Lord would call us back to that kind of relationship with him where if he says to go, we just go and we expect him to meet us when we get there. But they were busy about their father's business going out and doing that. And Jesus says to them, greetings. I picture with him saying this with some joy and love and tenderness and maybe even a little bit of humor. Maybe he's leaning up against a tree. He sees them. He sees them running to go tell the disciples and he's ahead of them on the path and he's just kind of leaning on a tree. And he just sees the ladies just so focused, tears, wiping tears from their eyes, talking and running as fast as they can, holding their little skirt, dress things. And they just run right by him maybe and don't even recognize him. I don't know that's what happened, but that's kind of what I'm picturing here. And as they walk by, he goes, hey girls, greetings. (laughs) Hey girls, how are you? And they turn and they see Jesus. And what do they do? They worship him. They get down, they they caress his feet with the holes in them. His dirty feet from walking around in the sand. Does he have sandals on? Did the angel bring Jesus a pair to change of clothes? Did he have sandals on? You know, know, uh, I don't know. I'm sure he had something on. He wasn't improper, but I don't know how well outfitted his feet were. And they worshipped him. They have, uh, you know, we have, They ran right up and held his feet. And I think there's a point there that we have no need to fear the resurrected Lord. And I think sometimes we get scared of him because he is resurrected, because there's something inhuman about him being dead and coming back to life. And yeah, it is inhuman. He's God, wrapped in humanity here. That he's awesome in power, and death can't hold him. He's got scars and wounds. Maybe he didn't look exactly the way, same way he did before to them. But he doesn't have any condemnation for them. And he won't have any condemnation for you and I if we just come and worship him. Like when I met him, I deserved a lot of condemnation. And I deserve even more now. But if I just come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I know who you are and worship him. He forgives me and he comforts me. And he has no nothing to hurt me with. No need to be afraid of them. It says, The kindness of God leads us to repentance. We know that we can come to Him because He loves us. And He says to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers. And I love how He calls the disciples His brothers, His family, His next of kin, so to speak. And earlier in Matthew chapter 12, 40 through, 46 through 50 says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Jesus was in the house, it was crowded, he was speaking to them. His family shows up and they're trying to get into him, but they can't, so word gets up to Jesus. Someone says, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And he answered and said to the, to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And not that he forgot them, but he says, he stretched out his hand toward the disciples and said, here are my brother." my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother and remember he he commanded them the angel and he commanded mary the marys to go tell the disciples that he was alive these are the same guys who abandoned him the same guys who ran away peter who denied jesus three times and he says go tell my brothers he didn't say go tell those stinkers That I'm alive. He says, go tell my brothers that I'm alive, that I'm back, that I'm here for them. Because he loves them. And he loves us so, so, God bless you, very much. He loves us so intimately, so specially, that this also was a point of the cross, that he went there out of obedience to the Father, but he also went there for us, out of a great love for us, for you, for me, he would go to the cross for each one of us, If even if it was just one of us. Like that song says, oh, how he loves us. God loves us. God loves you and me. He doesn't want anybody to be condemned, but to come to faith in him and to come to know their Father in heaven and their brother on earth. Verse 11, While they were going, indeed, some of the soldiers went into the city and and described to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave much money to the soldiers, saying, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying had been commonly reported among the Jews to this day. So the soldiers who had been guarding the tomb, at least some of them came to and went into the city and went and spoke to the Pharisees and the people of the temple, but not all did. And I think that's interesting that were these other guys done with their assignment? They were like, look, we're not going to have anything else to do with this. This is crazy. We don't want any part of this. We saw the cross. We, we now see he's resurrected as an angel. We don't want We don't want anything to do with trying to hold this back anymore. But the others went and told the chief priests, they themselves, the very instrument of the government and of the establishment religion, who were trying to keep the truth of Jesus dead and buried and sealed in a tomb in a cave. These people became the very witness to the truth of God themselves. Yet they didn't believe. And somehow I think that this is a hope for our age, that despite the ways of the government and the ways of the establishment and the ways of dead religion, God still used it. God was a witness to them that they could not hold it in. And throughout all of history, as the world and as government and as powers of man have tried to keep Jesus, tried to keep the truth of God suppressed, the more they push down on it, the more it leaks out, the more it prospers, the more uh, it spreads. That governments have come and gone, dictators have come and gone, laws have passed and been... Uh, Abolished, but Christianity survives because it's of a living God. It's a living religion that can't be stamped out. But these soldiers and the people in the temple, they didn't believe. They took a big bribe. They took hush money and lied about what happened to save their own skins. And we think that just because someone gets paid or someone goes to court and they win, that they've told the truth? No. Just because they put their hand on a Bible and swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help you God, doesn't mean that they haven't lied and gotten away with it. And these soldiers did. They saw what happened. They saw the angel. They saw Jesus crucified. But they were so hard of heart and they were so worried about their own skins, about getting crucified themselves for letting the, uh, this thing fall through, that they took the money and they lied for the rest of their life. I mean, I would feel like there would be such a guilty conscience there that some of them had to confess it one day. And maybe they did. But who could have kept the tomb sealed? Why would they even have to lie? Like, Look, like we tried, but an angel showed up. A supernatural thing happened. We couldn't stop it. Maybe they just didn't want to sound crazy. But who can stand against the Lord Almighty, like that other song says? But there was a leak from within the temple. Either one of the other soldiers, maybe someone in the temple staff, maybe one of the leaders themselves. They believed and they told the truth about the bribe and said that this was passed on and told commonly among the Jews that these soldiers were lying the whole time. That there was a whistleblower. And again, I think this is another hope for the corruption of our age that the truth will get out. Whether everyone believes it or not is not such a factor uh, for the truth. It's just that the truth gets out. And we need to speak the truth whether people believe it or not, whether people like it or not, because we are a part of the truth. Verse 16 through 20 says, Then even the eleven disciples went away to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. They met Jesus on the mountain again. Was this the Mount of Transfiguration? I'm not positive. I should have studied that a little bit better. But he loved being out and away from the city in the crowds. He loved being in the garden of nature, which he created with the disciples. Isn't that like the Garden of Eden? He just loved to walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden. The same way with the disciples. He loved to be out in the mountains. He loved to be out in the woods. He loved to be out in the garden, hanging out with the Father and hanging out with his brothers. And says that they worshipped, but some doubted. And I wonder if some even worshipped and doubted at the same time. Because sometimes some of us are just too hard. We're just too skeptical of even our own Lord when He appears to us and speaks to us. They're seen there. They see Jesus. There's no doubt about that it's Him. He's got holes in His hands. It's Him. They know His voice. They're His sheep. Are they not? But some doubted. Isn't that not like us that when sometimes Jesus shows up and speaks to us, some, sometimes some of us believe right away. Other of us go, is that really the Lord speaking? Yes, it is. Because he's alive, you know. And if, he, if God is alive, God is speaking to you. Sometimes we doubt he speaks to us personally. He speaks to each one of us personally. Even unbelievers hear his voice through the Holy Spirit. He says, all authority has been given to him, and he had taken on some human limitations before the cross, but no longer. He's able to walk through walls, he can appear where he wants, he's back from the dead. He's still got a body, but he's got a heavenly perfected body, and he's got the authority which he's had since the past, and he's earned at the cross, and now he shares with us in part. Now, I can't walk through a wall, I can't do miracles on my own, but you know what? I can go, I can baptize, and I can make disciples because that authority has been given to me and has been given to you as his followers. That's the authority we have on earth, to bring other people to know Jesus and to know the truth. That's the calling, that's the great commission, that you have all the authority to do that. There's no one on earth who can tell you, don't share the gospel. You have no right to share the gospel. Even if your life's a failure, you still have that call and commission on your life, to share with others and have all authority in heaven to bring others to him. You want to evangelize to someone and draw them to God? You have absolute authority. You don't need to wait to bring them to someone else. You share with them and you make them a disciple. Does that mean you're a pastor or a worship leader or a missionary? No. Those are other callings and greater. But the base calling in all of our lives is that we have the authority of God to open heaven's doors to whoever would come in through the blood of Jesus. So teaching them to observe that even beyond that, that obedience is still necessary, but that it's obedience to the vision of the risen Lord and to the words which he always taught. Like when they brought him before crucifixion, he's like, ask anyone else what I've, what I've said. I don't need to repeat it to you. I've taught it openly. It's not some new vision of God. It's not some new truth, some, some doctrine that's just been made up. It's the ancient, ancient truths of God proven true through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the things that God says, I believe them. Well, they are truth and, you know, to kind of push it back. Of course, I believe it because it's truth. But at the same time, like Jesus died for it. He ratified, he sealed it. That even if, uh, you know, there was some reason to doubt the truth in here. Otherwise, there's no reason to doubt it because Jesus has sealed this truth with his blood. And he says to them, remember I am uh, with you always, even to the end of the age. Then, just as it was good to remember the cross, to remember Good Friday, to remember his death, let's add to that. We've remembered those things. Let's remember that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. That the cross wasn't the end. It was just a part of the story of his resurrection. That now that he's resurrected, he's not dead and gone. He is with us. He is not bound by the grave, he is not bound by a human body and limited authority. He has all authority and he is with us. And we have the Holy Spirit as our comforter and guide. But just as much as that we have Jesus Himself with us. Hebrews thirteen, five through six. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such as things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Man can kill you. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill you and put you in the grave. Fear the one who can put you in the eternal grave. The one who has power over life and death. So what can man do to me? We have all authority to go and do what God wants to do. If God tells us to do something, it doesn't matter what the government says. If God says to go after and share with somebody, it doesn't matter what your boss or your friend says you share the gospel. That even in our dark age that we live in, as it gets darker every day, even in the hard times that are coming upon us in a very blessed society, even when we're old and weary, even when the world is more evil than I believe it's ever been in history, that he's coming soon. That that's our hope, that we can look forward to him coming soon, but it's not like we have to wait alone until he shows up and we're waiting for the bus or waiting for my mom to pick me up after school, and I'm the only one there. I don't have to wait alone for him to come back. He's coming back, but he's also with us already. All the way up until the moment he returns, he is with us even now. And that's our blessed hope, that our Savior is alive, he is resurrected, he died for our sins, that we can be cleansed from our sins, but he's not going anywhere. Yeah, he left in a way to go make our mansion in heaven and prepare a place for us, and he desires for us to be there. He's so As much as we're excited to go to heaven, he's even more excited for us to be there with him. But he's also with us now, and he's with us in the Holy Spirit, and he's also with us. I, Jesus can't stay away. You look in the Old Testament, you see all the Christophanies of Jesus walking around on earth. He can't stay away. He's here with us. He loves us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen. So, God, we love you and we trust you. We thank you that you are with us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit. You have not left us as orphans. We have communion with you. Even though you're in heaven preparing a place for us, we have direct access to you. We have your spirit within us comforting us and uh, letting us feel the warmth, so to speak, of your presence. So, God, use us, we pray, make disciples of all nations. May the people around us come to know you. And may we just live in that joy that you are alive, you are not dead and that our sin is long gone and forgotten. And we thank you for that. So God, wash us clean, make us new, and let us live for you all our days. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So may God bless you and keep you, and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for us all. With all our troubles left behind, We drink first light until